Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to part one of episode number 61 of my 60 music podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. Hello! So first of all, I'd like to welcome all you to part one of episode number 61 of my 60 Music Podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app, or on Stitcher, or on iHeartRadio, or on Google Play Music, or on Spotify, and you're wondering, so what the heck is this? I'm going to give you a brief description of what the show's all about. Okay, so I'm Sam Williams, and I'm a 23-year-old songwriter slash producer. But I'm also a huge 60 music fan slash expert slash nerd. And I usually go to this podcast to take one song by one artist from the 60s and split the show in two parts. First part of the show, I talk about my opinion of the song and why I think it's so good or why I think it sucks. Then do my own personal analysis on the arrangement of the song, which will include the chords, melody, and lyrics. And then the second part of the show, I dig deep into the history behind that track. And that part of the show, I talk about who wrote the song, who produced it, who are the musicians on the track, who are the band members on the track, what studio the song was recorded at, where the studio was located, and what la- uh, the label that the song was released on, where that label was located, and the Billboard Hot 100 peak position the song originally made at when it was originally released, and the year and month it was released. All that is in the second part of this show. Now, before we move on to this week's episode of the podcast, I wanted to let you guys know that um, I had a, I loved last week's interview with Shel Tommy. I thought that was really, really cool. Um, I hope you guys found him an interesting guest on my show, and I hope that you guys learned some really cool facts about them that you didn't uh, already know about uh, Shell Tommy and the groups that he worked with. But he also emailed me and told me that actually that I was actually right about something that he was trying to correct me on during the interview. Um, in the interview, I said that the Easy Beats Friday on My Mind was re- released in 1967 and recorded in 1966. Well, in the interview, you said that Friday on my he said that the song was recorded in 1964-65. Um, he actually looked it up and told me that yeah he actually did record the song in 1966 and it was released in 1967. So um, you know actually so I was actually um, right about what I was saying in the interview and I want to thank Shell for emailing me letting me know that um, yeah so um, by the I'll do more interviews in, in uh soon, but I thought that was just so cool that I got him on the show. I mean, he's literally a living legend. And also, um to, uh tonight I'm actually gonna go see um Mickey Dolan's uh lead singer of the monkeys at the Rose in Pasadena. I'm super excited for the show. Um I actually haven't done a monkeys song on my podcast yet, um, because you know, there's just a lot of artists that I haven't done yet that I'm still going to do, so you know, I'll get to them at some point, but it's definitely going to be um, a real, a very interesting show. I'm looking forward to seeing him and seeing what kind of songs he'll do. And uh, yeah, um, the Monkees were a very, very interesting band from that time period. And they have a really, really cool and unique story. And I'll definitely get to them at some point. But I thought I should let you guys know that I'm going to go see him tonight. And next week, I'll let you guys know what I think of the show. And if I wind up meeting him and getting his contact information, maybe I can have him on my podcast. Who knows? We'll see. Um, so, yeah, I'll let you guys know um, how that show goes. And I'll also let you guys know if I wind up meeting him. And, yeah. Moving on, let's get started in this week's song, shall we? 
Okay, so the song I'm doing this week, I have been waiting to do a song by this group for quite a while. And some of you out there might be wondering why I still haven't done a song by this band because, you know, earlier in this podcast, around last year, I was doing songs by, you know, my opinion, what I think are some of the most underrated 60s bands to have ever come out of that decade. And this is one of those groups. And it would have been, I think it would have been cool if maybe I had sucked this group in when I was doing those really cool underrated 60s bands like the Rascals and the Buckinghams and Levin Spoonful. But, you know, I feel like it's time for me to, you know, cover this group because they were one of the most iconic, most well-loved, most you know, appreciated and most, you know, interesting bands of the 60s. And even though, for the most part, um, they're only well-known, universally well-known for just one song. I mean, everyone knows at least that one song that they had that um, peaked at number one. Um, You know, they had so many really, really good songs. And, you know, this is and this is one of those songs, really, really good songs that they had, other than just that one ginormous world renowned hit that they had in nineteen sixty seven. Um but really this band also had some incredible musicians go through it. And the material that they chose to record was definitely top notch and the song is no exception. And uh, you know, and it you know, what really just blows my mind and what's so amazing about this group is that just the fact that they could pull a song like this off in their early 20s is just amazing to me, considering the complex nature of the song. And really, this track is incredibly epic, and a song that will leave you want to listen to it again and again and again after you just hear it once for the first time. And it's really just a one-of-a-kind song, and to this day, I still haven't really heard a whole lot of songs exactly like this one, and it's really just... You know, a song that is very, very unique. This track came out in July of 1967. It's by a band called The Turtles. It's called You Know What I Mean. Shouldn't we to be together? You know what I mean. To be with you is something like a dream. Does that song kick ass or what? Wow, that is just a great song. I mean, wow, it's just it's so incredible and it's just so off the wall and just so, you know, completely just interesting and just so different from anything I've ever heard before. And this week's episode of the podcast, I'm going to talk about what makes a song so good, both musically and lyrically. But the first thing we got to do is we got to talk about the song's music. Okay, so really what is so absolutely brilliant about this song, and really the main reason as to why I even chose this song in the first place for this week on my podcast, because i got to be honest with you, this group had so many really, really great songs, it was just so hard for me to just pick one to do for this podcast. But, you know, this one really stood out to me, and this song really was something different from a lot of their other um, songs that they came out with 
But the main reason why the song is just so different and so interesting and so one of a kind and, you know, what makes it so unique from other songs from this era, well, to be honest with you, the key ingredient with the song is that it really all comes down to the song's structure. Okay, so I know in this podcast I have talked song structure at agnosium on the show before, so I won't get into too much detail on that because I feel like at this, on, in the show I've gone over what like verse, pre-chorus, chorus is and what AABA structure is because half the time when I'm talking about these songs in the beginning and the part ones, I'm always going, I'm always breaking that stuff down. So I won't go too into too much detail on that. But the one thing to remember about this particular song that what is just so fucking cool about it is that there really isn't any structure in it at all. Okay. So let me say this again. There is no structure in the song at all. Okay. So for I know a lot of you out there who are listening to this podcast right now, you're probably wondering exactly what the heck do I mean when I say that? You know, so that's what I'm going to explain to you right now. Okay, so for all intents and purposes, and for the most part, almost all songs, regardless of genre or year or decade, follow a certain structure like ABA or verse-chorus-bridge or verse-pre-chorus-chorus you know, bridge. And most of them have a very predictable structure, almost to the point where you can kind of get the idea for kind of where the song is going and you can hear like the sections that repeat. And there are very few songs that don't utilize those structures at all. And the ones that don't are for the most part, very difficult to listen to because it's easy for a listener to get lost and confused as to what's going on in the song. But in this song right here, Literally says a big F you to all those major and well-known implemented traditional song structures that we have been using forever. And the song is essentially just one big fat verse all the way from the beginning, middle to end. But the amazing thing about the song is that even though there is no verse or chorus or even a set hook per se, it's still an incredible song to listen to. Because there are so many changes that happen in the song and there are so many intricate things that pop up throughout the song and keep listeners interested that, you know, even though there is no like traditional like verse chorus, you know, song structure, it still sounds like a hit regardless. I mean, you know, and that's just and this song is also one of those rare examples that, you know, totally bucks that whole structure, you know, and, and, and actually was able to become like a huge hit. I mean, not very many people in music in general have been able to do that. I mean, Roy Orbison being like, you know, one of the few exceptions to that rule. And this song also has a fantastic arrangement. There are several things I personally like about it. Okay, so first of all, I loved the subtle electric guitar in this sitar in the song. That little texture within the arrangement of the song makes it sound very cool. And also, I love the French horns in the song. And those specific instruments definitely give the song a very classical feel, even though it's clearly not a classical song. It's a pop song, you know, and it's definitely not something within the classical genre at all. But, you know, the strings and the French horns give the song a very classical feel, even though it's just it's mainly a pop song. 
But really, this is also one of those tracks that doesn't necessarily have the most simple arrangement on the planet. I mean, this isn't like one of those songs where it's like a tar bass, Keith drums, bass, and that, you know, and that's it. You know, it, it's not one of those band arrangement songs. I mean, there's a full orchestra behind this group. But for songs as complex as this one, I think it's really, I think a complex arrangement is what this song calls for. And I think it really needs a very big, bombastic arrangement. And also, another thing I love about the song is that since it's just one whole verse without a verse core structure, the chord progression is extremely unpredictable after you get to a certain point. I mean, there are some things that repeat, like the E to F sharp major key chain, um, chord progression, which, by the way, is a, that's called a secondary dominant when... You know, the one chord goes to the major two chord uh, or, you know, it's it's actually it's called a secondary dominant change. Just for any of you music theory nerds out there that listen to the show, that's that's the terminology we use for stuff like that us musicians. And there are certain points in the song where you honestly have no idea where it's going as far as the chord progression is concerned, because the no structure aspect of the song makes it for a very exciting listen. Because at certain points, you really don't know exactly where the song is going to go. But towards the end, the song makes a nice resolution despite the song's unpredictable nature. But probably my favorite part of the song is actually the end when the orchestra and the band kick themselves in the high gear and then do the E to F sharp major vamp, you know, and then the lead singer and the band just go nuts. They just sing the chorus, uh, the hook over and over and over again with such force and energy. And then the drummer, you know, really digs deep into that 12-8 groove, doing those swung eighth notes, and also playing them in cut time in this part, of the, in this section of the song, adding in some extra notes in there, just as the intensity of, you know, this section of the song builds and builds and builds, and it just goes crazy, you know, with the, with the French horns, the strings, you know, I mean, this is obviously like the best part of the song. And it's also one of those songs that you really got to listen to the whole thing because the end is totally worth it. Trust me. And uh, also, when I when I say that the chord progression is a little unpredictable, at certain parts of the song, it feels like they're trying to move from E major to A major. But then, you know, they quickly get back into E major in most parts of the song. But I feel like there are certain parts of the song where you feel like, okay, it might be going into this key. It might be doing this kind of key change, but really it just holds down the E major uh, key pretty well. I mean, you know, but it just, I feel like there are certain, certain intricacies that makes it seem like it's going to go into this direction, even though it's still really coming back to its core, um, you know, uh, structure. Um, also another really cool arrangement characteristic in the song are the vibes on top of the piano playing that little texture on top of everything else is what makes a song really cool. I mean, the piano is the, is, is the, is the thing in the song that really holds down the harmony, you know, because it's like literally, you know, the third instrument to come in along with the bass, you know, cause the song starts with electric sitar and then the drums and then the piano comes in and then shortly after the vibes you know come in as well and this is also one of the songs that gets even more epic and more awesome the more you listen to it because it starts out small and pretty low key but once you hit the halfway point of the song where it sounds like things are going to repeat the song goes into a completely different direction than what you were expecting and things get even more tense and high energy very much like a song you would hear out of a broadway musical 
But unlike most Broadway musical songs, this one right here isn't a campy or a hokey Broadway musical song. Um, you know, it's actually a really well-written, very mature, and, you know, very melodic pop song. And, you know, it's just, it, and the song is just pure awesomeness in every sense of the word. And I would imagine you would agree with me as well if you were to listen to the song as well. Okay, so before we get to the song's lyrics, let's talk a little bit about the song's time. Okay, so I'm not going to go into too much detail with this because we've ta- I've talked about the show in Agnosium about how s- songs in this time period were, were, were the most part very short, like, you know, two minutes, you know, or two minutes and 30 seconds or, you know, m- you know three minutes tops because, you know, you know, you could only, you could only fit so much time on a, on a single side of a 45 and... You know, and you couldn't, you know, if it was more than four minutes long, you had to split the 45 into two halves, you know, part one being a side, part two being the B side. And, you know, and most DJs wouldn't play songs over three minutes for the most part. Um, but really, I mean, this is one of those songs that, you know, it flies by you when you listen to it, because even though it's so short, they put so much into the song in less than two minutes. It's insane. I mean, for the most part, I feel like songs that are short, you know, they, you know, they, they, they put what they, with everything that they need to put in the song in, you know, two minutes or two minutes and 30 seconds. But, you know, when you listen to the song, it's crazy to think how, you know, how complex and how, you know, it just, you know, all over the place the arrangement is, you know, and, you know, just, and, but yet it was still managed to still be good and still be great, and it clocks in at like two minutes and two seconds, or you know, even less than that. I mean, it's just crazy, you know. I mean, I I really do. I gotta tip my hat off to these guys for, you know, writing such a short song and making it sound so epic. I mean, a lot a lot of times, epic songs like this one tend to be a little bit longer, like you know, three minutes and fifty eight seconds or four minutes. But you know, this one. I'm very, it's, it's cool that it's just, it's, there's just so much in it and it's just so compact and it's just, you know, it's like, you know, it's like almost kind of like a roller coaster ride song, but really it's a roller coaster ride song that's less than two minutes or around that two minute marker. So that's awesome that, you know, that they were able to do that. Um, but anyways, um, let's talk about the lyrics for the song because, um, on the surface, the song sounds like an average, typical love song, but its lyrics are actually more complex than what you would expect, and it's something that is still very relatable today. And, okay, so really, if you dig deep with the song's lyrics, it's really about a guy trying to convince a girl um, that they should become boyfriend and girlfriend, but he tries to get this girl to pick up on what he's trying to tell her, hence the title, you know, you know what I mean. I mean, he's basically asking her the question, like, do you know what I mean? That's, you know, it's even though the song's called, you know what I mean? It the, He's actually trying to ask her, hey, do you know what I mean when I'm telling you that we should, you know, you know, become a couple? And the line of the song, can't, can you, can you read in between the lines? Uh, you know, that, that phrase was pretty common back in the 60s. And it basically meant that, you know, some of you might be listening to this podcast and you might not have a clue what that lyric means at all. Well, basically what it mean what it meant is that 
Um, it's it was the it was the ability to understand what isn't exactly being said or the hidden messages or social cues between what is already being said, and uh, and uh, you know that's kind of what reading in between the lines mean. And sometimes I wonder exactly why people don't use this phrase that much today, because you know these days with you know texting and social media and Instagram and Facebook and. You know, there's so much to be read in between the lines with texting other people, especially if you're a guy texting a girl or vice versa. I mean, but since, you know, this is 1967 and none of those things exist, the phrase applies to reading in between the lines of a physical handwritten letter or a one-on-one in-person conversation or, or uh, over the phone. But really, it's kind of interesting that throughout this whole song, he's asking this girl if she knows what he means, even though in the message that he's sending her is very clear right from the very beginning of the song. And, you know, he's really just fantasizing about what would it like, you know, if we if they were a couple, you know, or, or they were a couple. And it's just like he's trying to he's trying to see if, uh, you know, this girl is on the same page as he is. And, uh, but also, um, you know, it's kind of interesting because who knows if the girl that he is talking to in the song will reciprocate what he wants from her in the song. And, you know, when, when it's kind of one-sided and it's a guy telling a girl something and you don't know exactly how the girl's going to react, that leaves things open for somebody else to write an answer song to this particular track. And basically create a lyrical response to what the singer is uh, singing uh, in the song. You know, it's uh, and basically I'm going to break down exactly what an answer song is right now, because I know you're probably thinking, OK, what the heck is an answer song? OK, just just give me a second. I'll, I'll, I'll explain it to you in a few minutes. OK, so the answer song is would uh, would basically be a song that would be a response to an already well well uh, written and recorded and released hit song. It would be like, you know, this, the hit song is sending a specific message to somebody and then you don't know exactly how the other person is going to react. So the answer song will basically be, you know, their response, you know, to that, um, to that specific message that the song is, uh, you know, sending out. And uh, the answer song would also sound somewhat similar to the original so- uh, song of the creating answer to. It keep intact the original meter and scale from the original track's melody. Um, and by the way, uh, when this happens, you know, a lot of times it's the same melody, the same chord changes. Uh, they might change the key, you know, um, the, you know, the change the uh, letters, but still keep the same numbers. But um, you might think to yourself, wow, I mean, did th- these guys ever get sued for writing these answer songs? Um, because that, that kind of borderlines, um, you know, the copyright infringement, you know, just doing that alone. But be honest with you, I don't think any infringement lawsuits ever happen over answer songs as far as I know, but it, I could be wrong. So if you know of a copyright infringement lawsuit that happened over somebody writing an answer song to another already huge written recorded hit um let me know um you can email me to that samltwilliamicloud.com okay so um back to the matter at hand um there was a whole genre of answer songs like this in the 50s and 60s one of the biggest 
hitting at your songs was a song called He'll Have to Stay, written, uh, recorded by a girl named Gina Black. It was actually a, a response to a big country crossover hit recorded by a guy named Jim Reeves called He'll Have to Go. And uh, with this particular song, um, another another good example of an answer song is uh, when the Gary Lewis and the Playboys recorded and released this time in Ring, some girl, I don't remember her name, but she came out with a song called Gary, Please Don't Sell This Diamond Ring. Um, but I don't think, with this particular song, you know what I mean, I don't think there was ever an answer song written to it. And it's probably because it wasn't that big of a hit. I mean, smaller hits didn't really get as many answer songs as the bigger ones. But there, if there was an answer song, I'd be interested to see what... Uh, Obviously, it would be sung by a girl since it's a guy talking to a girl, but I'd be interested to see what the girl would say in the answer song because I'm sure it would go something like, yes, I want to be with you. I know what you mean or no, I don't want to be with you. I don't know what you mean. You know, you see, it could really go either way. It could basically, it would be the girl saying, yeah, I want to be with you. I know what you mean or no, I'm not interested. You know, so it could go like that response could either be, you know, it could go either way. And you see, um, but now that I've kind of explained to you what an answer song is, I'm sure you're kind of picking it up by now, but that's basically what they were. And, uh, you know, then answer songs rarely get written anymore these days. They're kind of like, you know, a forgotten uh, art form, kind of like car songs and instrumental songs, you know, that were very common, like, you know, 50 years ago, back in the 60s. But I think it would be cool if more songwriters wrote answer songs to hits today. I think that would be, you know, that, that would make for some very interesting songs. And it would be fascinating to see what direction, you know, these songwriters would take by writing these answer songs, these already written and recorded and released hit songs. I mean, it would be interesting to see what their response are responses are to those uh, big hit songs. And also, what he's really trying to say in this song is also pretty timeless and could still be said today in 2019. But I will say that I feel like back then guys were very forward with the girls and they were not afraid to let them know that they were interested in them. But I feel like they're aren't as many songs, you know, like that today because I feel like, you know, our society has sort of flip-flopped things around and sometimes it's, you know, it's not as okay to be for- be as forward with a girl because you might, like, scare them off, you know, and I, and I feel like girls are kind of becoming, you know, more forward with, you know, with guys than, you know, it, but it used to be the other way around, you know, but I feel like in this time period there were way more songs where the guy was being very forward with the girl, letting letting her know that uh you know he was interested in her, um you know, and I don't really hear those that that many songs like that today, but I could be wrong. I mean, if you know songs of that nature, and if you know of any that are hits today or you know recorded today, please let me know. Um, email me at samltbully at icloud dot com. I would really appreciate that. So that includes part one of episode number 61 of my 60 Music Podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and if you liked my analysis on this week's song, you thought it was cool, you thought it was interesting, you never heard the song before by the Turtles, and uh, you know, and you never even like heard of them at all, or you're are very unfamiliar with them, uh, please email me at samltwilly at iCloud.com, 
Or if you're not in email and you like, you know, um, if you're like me and you like going on Instagram, you can reach out to me there too. You can DM me on Instagram at iHeartOldies. You can also check out more of my original music at samwilliamsmusic.net. And also, as per usual with these epi- with what I say at the end of every episode, um, the what is in the links, the links that are in the description of this week's episode of the podcast are one, um, the link to this song, you can uh, the YouTube link, so you can easily listen to the whole thing, um, you know, instead of just a little bit I played in today's episode, and you can also listen to the official Spotify playlist for this podcast. The link to that is also in the description of this episode of this podcast. There, you can find all the songs I've talked about on my show so far, and you can kind of decide or let me know if you have any suggestions or or things that I should uh cover on the show or songs I should cover on the show that I haven't done yet. Um, the Spotify playlist will give you a really good idea on the kind of music I talk about on my show. And you can, you know, let me know which songs you want, you would like for me to do that I haven't done yet. Um, but before you do that, I would highly suggest you go on there and listen to the songs I've talked about already. And yeah, so, um, also, uh, and one other really cool thing that's in the description of this episode of this podcast is a link to my official Redbubble merchandise store for this podcast. In there, you'll find the super cool logo that I ha- I got designed uh, for my podcast. It's basically the catchphrase I say at the end of every every episode and keep on trucking tie-dye font with the name of my podcast at the bottom. And it's just an awesome logo and there's a ton of really cool items on there and they're all priced differently so um if you decide to purchase something in that store um let me know i mean uh you don't have to purchase anything but i would at least get like some feedback on the store and the prices of each item and what you think of the logo as well i would really really appreciate that and you can do that either by emailing me at samltwilly at icloud.com or you can also reach out to me on instagram at iheartoldies and by the way, my Instagram name is spelled out like iHeartRadio, except with oldies in the title. So, um, you know, just type that in, and you'll be able to find me. All right. So, yeah, um, I'm Sam Williams. And uh, by the way, I'll let you guys know what I think of the Mickey Dolan show, um, you know, next week. And yeah, so um, I'm, by the way, also, please leave me a review for this podcast. If you're listening to it on the Apple podcast app, um, I would really, really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, follow me on Spotify and the other platforms where uh, you can, uh, you know, find my podcast. Because the more reviews I get on the podcast app, the more my show get pushed into the new and noteworthy uh, section of iTunes. So I really appreciate, you know, just writing a little something if you like what I'm doing with the show. And uh, you'd like to give me some feedback on there if you're just randomly checking it out. Um, but, yeah. So um, I'm Sam Williams. And thank you for joining me for this week's episode of my podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. Until next week, please. Keep things groovy. <laughs>